Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. The Oscar race checkpoints keep on rolling through in this late July. Hopefully you get to listen to this before it does turn to August, but that'll depend on future Mike One's editing skills. I am your co-host, Mike One. <laughs> this is co-host also, Mike. Yeah, this is quite the Oscar race checkpoint today because yes. we, we're looking back, we're looking forward, we're looking way forward. We got film festival stuff. We're going to talk about huge contenders. We're going to work in like 17 trailers this is this is jam-packed. Very jam-packed, to the point that this was going to be one episode, and we kind of have to divide it into two different Oscar have race to. checkpoints, uh, just with all the different news and information that's coming out. Our top story we just threw in because it just kind of broke at the uh, the minutes before we hit record here. Uh, that's going to be Will Smith's apology, but we're talking about Will Smith, we're talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, we're talking about uh, the HFPA being sold to the <laughs> HFPA, essentially. Please allow myself to... Yeah, and then we got Venice for this episode, Mike, and we're going to push TIFF. We'll mention some TIFF stuff, mm-hmm. but we're going to push TIFF uh, to the next Oscar race checkpoint after we get the full lineup, which you'll probably have in your hands by now, by the by the time you're listening to this, but we, we don't have it yet. Yeah, and uh, I mean, as far as coming full circle on stuff, we started the week. Last weekend was obviously San Diego Comic-Con. We haven't had a chance to pass comment on that and everything happening with the MCU, so that'll be hopefully where we wrap up this episode but as far as you know we had part one of our summer oscars series with Mm -hmm. eric weber that was our last episode released i guess this is part two but it's just like it's a never-ending part it's a never-ending out there never-ending summer oscar series let's just rebrand all our normal (laughs) stuff (laughs) just like you had this idea months ago about uh the year in previous yeah the year in preview that lasts until oscars sunday I think it's exactly. genius. Tell me tell me where there's a flaw. You can't. All right. So it's summer, so it's a summer Oscar series. Right. right. This is brilliant. Eventually, Labor Day will come, and it'll be the fall Oscar. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Let's start, like I said, the top story. Will Smith. Uh, I saw this on TikTok. He released it through, uh, I guess, his own website. IndieWire had it covered. Variety had it covered. It surprisingly, wasn't everywhere on film Twitter by the time I was looking around, which, which I don't understand. But, okay, Will Smith posted an apology slash slash explanation as to what happened a couple months ago at the Oscars? Mike, what did happen a couple months ago at the Oscars? I have no recollection. <laughs> I, I kind of fogged out. But I do I do know that he was answering a lot of questions, uh, presumably sent to him by fans. Mm. And a lot of these obvious questions that we've been asking ourselves up till now, like why didn't you apologize to Chris during your acceptance speech was the first question. He did say he fogged out. He did say he was all fuzzy. Uh, He did then apologize to Chris Rock, Chris Rock's mother, Tony Rock, I believe is Chris Rock's brother, and Chris Rock's family. Uh, he apologized to his fellow nominees, winners like Questlove. He can't forget, he can't shake the look in Questlove's eyes uh, during uh, Questlove's acceptance speech and said, quote, I'm sorry really isn't sufficient, mm-hmm. uh, unquote. He answered a question, did Jada tell him to do something after 
She rolled her eyes in that moment, in that clip that we've all seen a hundred times yeah, now. Anyone who's ever been in a relationship knows she didn't have to tell him to do anything with that look. <laughs> you know? He said, no, I made my own decision, and he did so in the Fresh Prince voice, which mm-hmm. is hilarious. I forgot everything else he was saying. He's just such, <laughs> so charming. He's, uh... No, I, I, I mean, the big quote was, I spent the last three months replaying and understanding the nuances and complexities of what happened in that moment, and I'm not going to try and unpack all of that now, but... He, th- he says, I can say to all of you, there is no part of me that thinks that was the right way to behave in that moment. There's no part of me that thinks that's the optimal way to handle a feeling of disrespect or insults, unquote. OK, so I, I felt a lot of genuine remorse from this, but he is also the current reigning best actor <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. So there could be uh, some PRness to that. But this I, I think the timing kind of. Look, the cynical side of my brain is like, what do you mean complexities and nuances? You walked up and slapped the guy in the mouth because he insulted your wife on national TV. But yes, the more you think about it, there are obviously all kinds of layers to this. And and he's addressing those. And Will Smith is, you know, not an unintelligent man. I I think this is smart. I don't really have a lot of hot takes other than this seems genuine to me. And I think the timing kind of helps it because other than emancipation, right, which may be dropped on Apple TV, I can't find a a Will Smith career slant to this as to why this would be coming out for him on a random Friday at the end of July. This seems like something he just wanted to get off his mind and chest. It seems so like the only, you know, you're going out on a limb. Maybe they're coordinating it with emancipation being done and Antoine Fuqua having the goods with, with a movie that is, is said to be mm-hmm. his best film since training day, which the rumor was, as we addressed a couple episodes ago, uh, emancipation suddenly might be dropped this year and might be in the running for the Oscars race. But even if it is, I can't imagine the Academy is ready to wholly embrace Will Smith with or without this apology video. Yeah, I would doubt it, but I wouldn't be I wouldn't put it past PR reps, professional PR people sure. to to float that story out there in the in the rumor mill where it was with the dish at the time mm-hmm. and we've had some substantiation to that rumor mill that we're going to go over in the next the very next story. But look, I mean, he, he did seem genuine. He did say, he quote, I am deeply devoted and committing to putting light and love and joy in the world. And if you hang on, I promise we'll be able to be friends again, unquote. He, he, before that, he says, quote, I'm deeply remorseful and I'm trying to be remorseful without being ashamed of myself. I'm trying not to think of myself as a piece of, you know, S-H-I-T there, and unquote. I mean, he, he said all the right things here for the most part, Michael. And he's convincing when he says them. You yeah. know, we've have we have a lot of years of being fans of Will Smith. And mm-hmm. look, I, we've come down on the situation from a bun- bunch of different angles, and we've made our silly, stupid jokes about the situation from a bunch of angles because a lot of people acted ridiculously uh, in in the, in the in the moment and in the that aftermath. Is for sure. I don't know. I don't know what to make of this. I don't. I think he's trying to have a career. I think he's trying to have be accepted. It's a career that depends on people liking him and wanting him to be redeemed and wanting him to uh, to be on to entertain them. So it's it's a really tough road to to travel right now. And he's got something very serious and potentially Oscary coming mm-hmm. out perhaps this year. So he's still very much in the conversation. And look, I wouldn't put it past the Academy. I really wouldn't. If he's awesome at emancipation and that movie is going to be every single scene, him, right? 
because mm-hmm. we know it's he's on the run as from a bounty hunter. So the whole movie's about his character in that. Would you be all that shocked if he's in the conversation, you know, four months from now? Yes. Truly? I, I truly, I mean, especially if Chris Rock hasn't spoken on the record yet. I mean, I... What if it comes down to him versus Chris Rock and best act? No, Look, I, I don't know. Well, I think, well, that's that's where I'm like the the next time I expected to hear from Will Smith, I expected to hear this. You know what I mean? Like I, the next thing you heard from him, I think should have been an apology, a public apology, regardless right. of when it was. It happened in July at the end of July. Okay, fine. So th- this isn't that surprising. It's also not exactly what I care so much about hearing as much as the other side of the story i still want to hear chris rock sit down and he's not ready and will smith said he reached out to chris rock and chris rock said he wasn't ready to talk to will smith chris rock's only given comments in in stand-up sets and in jokes and talking about you know on stage with dave Chappelle and on stage during his own sets and stuff like that much funnier jokes than you and i's jokes right (laughs) but but in all like i want to hear from chris rock whenever he's ready to talk about this so that's kind of where i'm at with the whole thing i want to sit down between them uh, and not Oprah. I'm sorry, Oprah. I mean, Oprah would be great. You wouldn't obviously. take the Chris Rock Oprah interview. I yeah, I want that. But I what I'd rather have is a comedian as the uh, <laughs> as the judge between the two of them. Who? I don't know. Maybe it's John Stewart after the weekend he had. No, he's going to be too busy running for president in 2024. Well, I've decided that, cool that for too. him. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, but we could have. I mean, we could have somebody make you know. Make make it easier to consume, I guess. I don't know. It probably probably won't happen. Maybe Jimmy Kimmel, you know. That would, would be, be interesting. Good. He's he's cap- certainly capable of doing that. Letterman could come 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 out of the clouds and do it as well. Um, yeah, le- I don't know about Letterman, but yeah, may- maybe I don't know. I think The Rock, just you know, as the superhero dog in DC Super I'm, Pets, I'm incapable of doing because my first thought was yeah but let's have the rock turn heel and hit chris rock with a chair and so i'm i'm not ready to not mature no. enough to have that kind of conversation yet uh look it's 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 something that's i don't know probably long overdue this will smith apology but it, you know it's here and we got our hands on it and it seems genuine which is pretty much i think all all of us could ask for and now we wait for the other shoe to drop whatever that may be whenever that may happen and obviously as always we'll keep our ear to the ground and keep reading the trades and when it happens we'll be on top of it as best as we can be we want to say for the billionth time when covering stuff about this we know that there is some aspects of this mike and i are two white schlubs up in the northeast there's stuff we cannot possibly relate to about this yeah Uh, i would really appreciate this to be funny again because this was all sincere and serious i would (laughs) really i'm really straining to make jokes about it i can't do it i just want my corny level of jokes to be appropriate again thank you very much there you go that's the the mike mike and oscar guarantee and disclaimer let's move on and talk about the killers of the flower moon we touched on this with eric weber uh it seems to be more solidified than it was our last episode but the killers of the flower moon now will not release in 2022 michael yeah let me run down the follow-up article from clayton davis Mm -hmm. at variety because i I wanted to clean a few things up because obviously apple is involved here and eric and i i kept mentioning paramount 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 well i mean paramount was originally the holder of the property right and then they they sold it to apple and they're still the distributors but they're still the the theatrical distributors yeah, they'll be the theatrical distributor. Apple and Paramount will work together on that. So let's clarify that much. Now, Clayton Davis did write a definitive answer to why this was delayed. Number one, it was originally slated for 2023. Somehow they were ahead of schedule and they felt like it could come out in 2022. But Marty 
being Marty and Thelma Shoemaker being Thelma Shoemaker, they always take long and post-production. Martin Scorsese and ahead of schedule, I can't imagine, are two <laughs> phrases that are often in the same sentence. But Clayton Davis wrote something to the effect that the film is simply not ready for 2022's award season. Maybe they can get it in under the wire, but they're not going to get it in with the rollout that I think they want to have. and Thomas Hooper. <laughs> they want to have the big rollout at either the Cannes Film Festival or the Venice Film Festival. Those two were mentioned in Clayton's article, as they were mentioned in the Deadline Dish. And Apple's already got a robust slate that we would agree with is a, is a solid slate right now of Cha-Cha Real Smooth and Luck from the first eight months of the year luck is coming out next weekend animated film the greatest beer run ever from peter Farrelly of the green book uh, team there the writers directors Phil Longa, they're all involved uh, with the greatest beer run ever we'll talk about uh, uh, that film later in this episode raymond and ray and a24's causeway which seems like we've been previewing for years michael we'll, we'll mention that that's going to venice or maybe it's going to tiff now i forget now it's getting jumbled but that's jennifer lawrence and Brian Tyree Henry, Apple TV, A24 co-production. And now, of course, we still have, in, in Clayton's article, Emancipation looming as a potential film to be substituted back into this year's race with Will Smith and directed by Antoine Fuqua of Training Day. You know, not to mention what Paramount does have on its slate, which, again, we alluded to, Top Gun Maverick has turned into a, a burgeoning uh, big-time awards play that maybe Paramount didn't expect to have to, to play with at the beginning of this. So there's other things on Paramount's schedule as yeah, well. And Eric uh, mentioned, uh, of course, they have Babylon still mm-hmm. to come. Right. So, so Paramount slate, Apple slate, both are very full. Right. This movie's never coming out, right? I feel like we've been talking about <laughs> Killers of the Flower Moon for four years now already. And it's a long like, book. He had to read the book, and then he had to <laughs> read the book three times. The greatest trick the best director ever, ever pulled was never directing a film in the first place, that type of thing. <laughs> Deadline's Justin Kroll was on top of this for the dish. I guess Clayton did a good enough job of running down why things are the way they are. I, I thought it had to be something more meatier than, well, Marty just really wants to play can which I'm glad it seems like it is. What is he, Wes Anderson? Come on. He doesn't really want to play. <laughs> right. like, does he actually care? Do you care? Does anyone really care? Lois Griffin there. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I have... I, look, I'm very happy, and I said mm-hmm. this on Twitter, that I get to beat the dead horse that is the Leo is unrecognizable <laughs> in this picture joke for another year. And that well, Who is in me. this movie? What? Right. <laughs> so I'm okay with this movie being pushed. Those ears are Leo's ears. <laughs> are they prosthetics? Is that his forehead? He was unrecognizable. Sweater, you know. The nose is t- that. Mm-hmm. That's not Leo. Anyway, right. uh, look, there was a lot of uh, speculation in the Deadline article that Apple uh, could be convinced, uh, basically, to to have Paramount distribute the film just to make back a bunch of the money on the production costs, costs that could be expanding. So that was something that I was trying to work in quickly with Eric. I think that is coming to the forefront of a lot of these conversations. We're going to address this at the end of the next episode when we talk more about Glass Onion or maybe this episode where a lot of people are wondering if these streaming films, especially these awards players, especially these $200 million budgets, allegedly $200 million budgets, are going to need theatrical just to, 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 to seize the moment. Especially okay. with a lot of the losses that streamers are having on the stock market right now. To seize the moment in terms of the theatrical windows where they could make a, a ton of money. Except, what about the other side of that coin? Because if the Gray Man was theatrical, that's losing money. 
Yeah, it's 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 losing money, but it's making money for them. On the, you have a floor, you have a high floor because people are watching it on the streaming service. So if people are going to watch it on the streaming service, regardless, after a, a month and two weeks, after six weeks, then why not? You know, that's what they're juggling right now. They're they're wondering about the kind of the second window. But there's the still sec- distribution what's the second cost window? to get it into theaters, right? And, like, if a yeah. movie's bad, like the Gray Man reported, I still have not watched it. Did you watch it? I watched it. It sucks. Yeah, so, like, people aren't going to rush out to theaters to save that, and then they're going to have to peel back a half a dollar from every theater to give it back to the theater anyway? Netflix isn't going to make money on that on a property like that, no matter how much the production budget is. You wonder if they can cut a different deal. But regardless, they're not trying to make all the money. They're just trying to make some of the money because I believe they think that the second window appeal on the streaming service could still be really strong and they could get the viewer viewership that they want and ultimately retain what they they want to do is, is have people watch it on Netflix. I do wonder if something like The Irishman, you know, only Netflix knows, Netflix doesn't release their numbers, they only release obscure numbers, blah, 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 all those conditions that we always have when we talk about Netflix's quote-unquote box office. But I wonder if something like The Irishman was a bomb for Netflix? Did it come close to doing what they thought it would do? Is there any way to quantify the money that it actually made them? Did Is subscribers the only number they have to go by in terms of the valuation of their properties? I don't know. Subscriber growth and kind of the bubbles or blips where, where that increases is one thing. Having people stay subscribed and having people continue to watch your service and continue to need to watch your service as an entire other beast that the algorithm has to factor in, which I know Netflix is trying to figure out. I've been listening, you know, go listen to recent activity. Andrew did, did a great pod with the what's on Netflix dude and uh, Matt Bellany of the town did some Netflix uh, speculation. There's just so much involved with those 220 million subscribers and the fluctuating bunch of people that are in and out and who's sharing a password I don't know how to do it. You got to have next level mathematicians dealing with this, but there's there, it's very complicated. It's very complicated. So they they're they're trying to figure out if these movies were which you know our hypothesis from the beginning Mike was that these movies drive new subscribers. Mm-hmm. They're bursts of new subscribers. You get people in the door with these new headlines of of big movies that can only be watched on your service. The exclusivity is what drives it. But maybe we're all performing as viewers like, you know, children on Disney Plus and we don't care. We just want we'll watch something a month later, especially adult viewers. We'll watch something six weeks later, whatever it is. And we don't care. We just want to watch that eventually and we'll wait for it eventually. And maybe other people won't. They'll see it in theaters. I still think that they need a, a signature series or something that isn't Stranger Things. That's a property people are aware of and can sink their claws and i mean they started with the marvel stuff years ago before disney started the disney plus thing and started recouping all their, I mean, their series so yeah i mean the crown squid game i mean they, they got good stuff on they do Netflix. have good stuff they, they, they do, do have good stuff i just don't know that like if i say netflix what's the first thing you think of stranger things probably right the crown and squid game <laughs> I, mean, I think of those three <laughs> but i you know i also think of roma and, and the irishman and the fact that I'm going to get, I have to be subscribed to Netflix because I have to watch those 20 movies a year. Mm. And I watch much more than that. I usually watch like 50 movies a year on Netflix mm. because that's all the only place where I can really watch them. Yeah, I can go to the theaters and spend $20 a pop. But that's a different, that's a whole different animal. 
Maybe they're doing the right thing by going down the Witcher path. By maybe these gritty video game adaptation series could be, because I mean, comic books are pretty much all spoken for already. And well, I'm I'm shocked that they bungled another one. I mean, a Resident Evil is a disaster, isn't it? I I thought I saw people were liking that, but I have not heard anything about it since. You've seen people not liking it. Uh, my initial read on it, maybe it was from again recent activity, Andrew's pod. Not they, a fan. They they screwed it up. But Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I have not. I, I have not since the week before it debuted. I saw people were like touting it, and then I didn't hear a word about it. So I have not paid attention to it at all. But I, I guess in and of itself is probably telling. All right, Marty, uh, making some more news by. Greenlighting. Pro- Doesn't this guy have like 18 projects already greenlit before he has to do another one with Leo that he's tying himself to? Well, I think the good news about this is that Apple, Scorsese and DiCaprio are remaining in business together. And Apple is assuring that good it's point. doing the next film for Martin Scorsese, which seems to be The Wager, a book by David Gran, which is a uh, which is a naval survival story, which sounds like. You know, period piece, 1740s. They're, you know, this British ship lost in uh, Brazil, on the coast of Brazil. You know, we'll, we'll surely be talking about this for years to come when it comes out in uh, t- 2030. <laughs> right? And the budget must be $4 billion with a B. I'm, I'm sure this is going to be yeah. ridiculously huge. It's not the first of- time either that we've seen Scorsese and Leo say they're going to team up for a movie and then it nothing's really come out about the movie that hh Holmes series which is no longer a movie it's now going to be a hulu series and leo was supposed to be the lead in it and now it seems like he might just be a producer in it alongside scorsese and scorsese was going to direct it and now it seems like he might just be an ep so who the hell knows what's going to go on how much weight does leonardo dicaprio really want to lose or does he demand (laughs) that the emaciated body be cgi i'll leave that to christian bale and all his uh different roles skinny uh, skinification yeah yeah. All right, let's uh, let's transition and talk about this weird HFPA story, which I guess you could put the adjective in front of any HFPA story having to do in the last two years or so. The HFPA sold itself to itself, Mike. How? All right. <laughs> I think I get, I'm starting to get this. They become for-profit. Mm-hmm. The members will get a 75K per year salary and a five-year contract, all of this according to Scott Feinberg of The Hollywood Reporter. So, but here's the key: the the name, the CEO of Eldridge Industries is Todd Bowley. Yeah, he, he is headquartered in Greenwich, Connecticut. We should he have is basically Axe from from right. Billions, right? Yeah. Bobby Axelrod. Yeah, yeah. He's the chairman of Chelsea Football Club. Mm-hmm. He's also the interim CEO of the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So he's the guy who has been running the company of the HFPA. Since they've had this scandal and he made this equity firm to buy the HFPA outright. And so the HFPA isn't really changing hands at all. I mean, there'll be different administrators, but the head guy is still going to be the head guy. And you would imagine that the president and the executives are still going to be the president and the executives. Maybe they'll make some changes there. I don't know. It remains to be seen. I, I take it like this. I guess the HFPA stance is going to be, well, look, money was so tight. We wanted to invite new members in, but we didn't even know if we were going to have enough finances to exist in the foreseeable future. That's why we've only invited in the 20 new people. But now that we have all this equity and resources behind us and we're being run like an actual company, we can expand and we can finally bring in a a new plethora of voters and widen our diversity and our breadth and our reach and all that. And okay, 
like everything having to do with the HFPA, don't tell me what you're going to do and just do it, man. Right. So they have 90 members or they had 90 members and they added 20. So they had a buck 10. Right. Something and 70, like that. 75,000 a year is what's the math on that? Seven million. Is that right? Seven and a half million, something like that. A little so, give or take. So what do you think the profit? So if they doubled that to 14 million. But wasn't money what got them into problems in the first place? Yeah, but now they're going to be for profit. So fifteen million of expenditures. So instead of gifts, they'll be <laughs> income. I don't understand. A, a, a supplemental income from hopefully right. most of them. Wonderful. <laughs> so instead of accepting gifts and bribes, allegedly, that swayed the votes of these people, where they had to go back to their individual posts as journalists, now they can just all congregate in the same place with all their gifts and alleged bribes and not have to view their other co-workers in the face it's a salary now michael they're gonna watch all the movies and then vote on an american this isn't even american whatever like again fine just make changes you know I, i will say this if they do outsource or they do outreach to all of these other good organizations like we talked about fip resky and they Mm -hmm. And they hire a bunch of Fipresky members to become a part of the HFPA, and they're paying them a salary, which is helping them basically exist in in the profession. This is a very good thing. It's a good thing for potential new members. I agree. I completely agree with that. And, you know, if you now have the backing to be able to make yourself more diverse and bring in people who you otherwise and previously have shunned, which got you into its own sort of trouble as well. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. There are people there. New members can make a living being a part of the HFPA and hoping to improve it. All that being said, this sounds an awful lot like the NCAA. It's just weird. Doesn't this sound like the the minuscule amount of earnings that are going to be shared with college football players or college basketball players when the NCAA at large is making a ridiculous amount more. And maybe they're not making a ridiculous amount more, but I'm sure that this hedge fund manager understands how to make a profit right. on the Golden Globes. <laughs> and he's going to make more than quote unquote 15 million that he has to, you know, exist on or whatever. He's got to pay these uh, executive team and however large that executive well, team. I have questions about what you're doing to earn this 75 grand a year too. Like so are you not allowed to have employ- full-time employment with anyone else? Is is Are you expected to be a full-time HFPA employee? Is that... Which means what? You're gonna I, exactly. Well, I'll give, I don't know I, what that we means. We want this job. I want this job. Right. I'll, 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 uh... <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what that means. So are you not allowed to report and be a journalist for other outlets and entities? I, I don't, I'm, I'm very I don't confused. So. And I, I also... So. I, I don't see what's changing other than money, which is not has not been the HFBA's problem historically. The same figurehead is in charge. Mm -hmm. Now, will he invite a whole new membership and leadership? That's the hope. So hopefully Mr. Bowley out of Greenwich, Connecticut will do that much. They'll be on the right track. Now, the for-profit I don't know. I don't know if that works or how how that works. We'll drive down to Greenwich. We'll have a a talk with Mr. Todd here. Uh, No, we won't because there's... (laughs) It's like a fortress out there. <laughs> the Venice Film Festival. They announced their uh, entries in and out of competition this past Monday. We have a lot to get to here, Mike. Yeah, they they have Oscar winner Julianne Moore as a jury president. 
uh, from Still Alice there. We have jury members including Mariano Cohn, Leonardo Di Constanzo, Audrey Dewan of Happening, Leila Hatami, Kazuo Ichigiro of Living, and Rodrigo Sorogoyen. And the full lineup was announced uh, on Tuesday after some initial announcements, like you said, on Monday there, Michael. Yeah, and it's, I mean, with even without Killers of the Flower Moon playing in 2022, the Venice lineup's really going to highlight just how deep the, the year, the film year to come is in terms of awards caliber stuff. Yeah, in competition, opening nighter, we have White Noise from Netflix and writer-director Noah Baumbach, uh, Adam Driver, Greta Gerwig, Adam Driver with that haircut, my God, Don mm-hmm. Cheadle, and he will, of course, play a professor of Hitler's studies, so I'm sure he'll be beloved by mm-hmm. all the other characters, family, no and friends in the film. Yes, uh, we got our first still, our first movie still <laughs> from this during the Venice announcements on Tuesday Kind of Stranger Things vibe from this photo that was released, which I guess makes sense because this is supposedly a movie that takes place in the 80s. So, Adam Ooh. Driver, he's caught in that time period yeah. right now. For Can't sure. escape. It, it looks great. Him and Greta Gerwig. I mean, come on. I mean, it's, I would watch a Noah Baumbach script of just those two walking down the street. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I think you're, you're gonna. So, your wish may be coming true here. Yeah, intriguing premise. By intriguing, I mean batshit crazy. So, it's certainly something that's on my radar, as is the Banshees of Inishirin, something we've talked about and previewed a bunch here already from writer director Martin McDonough. The Banshees will star Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, Barry Kilgan, and Carrie Condon. It'll be about two Irishmen, one of which decides not to be friends anymore i love that this is kind of a reprise of the in bruges bromance mm-hmm. between brendan gleason and colin farrell and i love that colin farrell is the one that is put out i love that colin <laughs> farrell and his what is his big puppy dog eyes are looking through the window <laughs> he's not allowed to be friends anymore he's staring across from him at the table with the gorgeous irish backdrop his beer half drunk because he was probably talking the whole time and the other guy's beer mostly drunk I just love that they're drinking Guinness. I love that this has uh, really good buzz from Martin McDonough uh, already. So this is this is exciting for the Banshees of Inna Sharon. Yeah, Martin McDonough was in an interview raving about the cinematography, and he was kind of taking backhanded uh, swipes at his cast there. He was like, yeah, the cinematography is beautiful, but then again, when you have two grown men mumbling and arguing with each other over a table, it better be, because otherwise, <laughs> what are you going to look at? It's like, beautiful, great job. <laughs> Bardo, or the false chronicle of a handful of truths. So this is from Netflix and writer-director Alejandro Gonzalez in a retu of The Revenant, Birdman, Beautiful, Babel, 21 Grams, Amoros Peros. He hasn't done a bad film, but he also hasn't done a comedy. And this, Bardo, is said to be a comedy, Michael. Birdman had its moments. None of the other ones did, but Birdman had its comedic <laughs> moments. All right. I'm, I'm in. I, we have Clayton Davis projecting the lead of the film uh, in his Best Actor 5 already. So Bardo is supposed to have that late of the year theatrical rollout, late mm-hmm. in the year theatrical rollout from Netflix, then the full Roma treatment, I would say. Uh, another uh, another amigo of the three amigos and you know just Oscars royalty there in Aritu. Something, uh, again, we've previewed a bunch that has a lot of hype behind it, for better or worse. Blonde, the Anna de Armas as Marilyn Monroe Netflix movie from Andrew Dominic. Yeah, confirmed to be two hours and 45 minutes long. And we got a new trailer for Blonde that I will say doesn't appear to be one of a hugely long movie. It was a very classy trailer, so I'm a little unsure about the NC-17 rating of it, uh, unless... 
you take the unnervingness of this trailer because this trailer really freaked me out. She's actually cornered at one moment. It felt it felt like really scary. So yeah. obviously we're gonna have we're gonna have uh, trigger warnings abounding. So it's not gonna be NC seventeen for just happy fun reasons. It doesn't seem like <laughs> no Dimaggio dong. Damn it. Yeah. Uh, this movie, based on this trailer, would be more appealing if it was the tragedy of Norma Jean, wouldn't it? Yeah, but that's not gonna sell. That's not gonna sell tickets, Michael. Well, not that it's a streaming to... service. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so there's true. no tickets. But like, like you said, this is the sense I get and you get from this trailer is that it's the intrapersonal horror story of Norma Jean Mortensen, who had to cosplay her entire life as Marilyn Monroe. If she goes to a KFC. And they and she puts the name Spencer down. Are we going to be that surprised? Really? Now everybody, that's easy. Again, I just have a certain level of corniness to all my humor that this I will the not only deviate from. You bring up any of these news stories is to make the one-liners. The, yeah, Both. I think that's a one-liner. That's what I think. It takes me ten minutes to set it up. But look, I mean, blonde, this trailer looked harrowing. Yeah. And I, it was very intense. It was very classy in terms of the cinematography. She's delivering an, an incredible performance, both in terms of mimicry and, you know, the, the close-ups of the emotion. I, I wonder if it's going to be, you know, two hours and 45 minutes of Anna Armas going off. I hope it's not a misleading trailer, because I'm much more intrigued to watch it having seen this trailer than I was off the teaser or anything I read about it previously. Right. Well, I tell you what, the, the teaser was... High Hollywood class. It yep. was also, and it also had, you know, hints of some serious sadness there. I, I was in on both the, both levels of the marketing, and then you got the poster out there now, the close up of her face. But we know it's a kind of a disingenuous smile from all the stuff that she's doing in the mirror. Mike, we got Anna De Armas in the mirror, in three mirrors. Mm-hmm. The tragedy this of Norma Jean. Better title. Yeah, you're taking you. the tragedy of Norma Jean with that trailer more seriously as an Oscar contender than you are blonde with that trailer. I I would I wholeheartedly believe that that's a hill I'm ready to die on. Hard disagree. No, you're wrong. Uh, but <laughs> but we could talk about something else that we'll likely disagree about, and that's Bones and All of Luca Guadagnino, Timothy Chalamet, Taylor Russell. This is a coming of age horror romance, and I read more stuff than I wrote down here, Michael, okay. because apparently Clayton Davis said this might be about vampires. Sure. But we're, I'm also retweeting stuff where Luca Guadagnino is already getting shit for this being about cannibalism. Okay. And and we got some updates on Bones and All from Venice. We got Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross yeah. having done the music of the social network and all the Fincher films. We got uh, the movie also starring Mark Rylance, Michael Stuhlbarg, Andre Holland, Chloe Chevigny, uh, Jessica Harper, Harper, David Gordon Green as a, mm-hmm. an acting role here. And we got this huge plot premise that uh, if you would read this, I could uh, comment some more. A story of first love between a young woman learning how to survive on the margins of society and an intense and disenfranchised drifter as they meet and join together for a thousand mile odyssey that takes them through the back roads, hidden passages and trap doors of Ronald Reagan's America. But despite their best efforts, all roads lead back to their terrifying past and to a final stand that will determine whether their love can survive their otherness. So this isn't let the right one in. It's let the right one in. Who's the, who's the Renfield here? It's obviously Taylor Russell. He's Dracula may. (laughs) (laughs) Dracula thee? 
Count Timothy? It could just be a documentary for all we know about how pasty white Timothy Chalamet always is, too. But but he's uh, he's a daywalker. Yeah. Right? Because we mm-hmm. see him out we there. We see him on the, the red carpet. That's true. No, we see him out there in the bright of day. So it's not like a typical vampire. Maybe he's just a cannibal. Maybe they're both just cannibals. Like, I was theorizing that this could be Hansel and Gretel kind of thing. I don't know. But they're also walking around America, which was not what I expected. I thought this was going to be... You know, backpacking in Europe somewhere because Luca Guadagnino is from there. But mm. no, this is like bum f America with all of these guest appearances of people that probably get eaten. You by do Timothy have Chalamet. you do have a hell of a horror cast though that Luca has to at his disposal here. I mean Taylor Russell, she's got raves for her performance in Waves, which was you know awards adjacent, but she obviously has experience in the horror genre with those escape room movies, which are better than they have any right to be. You have Luca, who stunts Suspiria. David Gordon Green, obviously, behind the camera at Halloween. Uh, Taylor Russell, I just commented on. Chloe Sevigny and Andre Holland, both from American Horror Story. Michael Stuhlbarg has done Men in Black 3 and Arrival yeah. in Shape of Water. Jessica right. Harper's in this. The original Suspiria lead there. She's horror royalty. And yes. like you said, Trent Reznor doing the music. Nine Inch Nails is basically just a horror band. Never mind, he also did the music for things like Bird Box already. So you have a lot of horror experience in this cast and when you don't have horror it's a horror romance and who's more romance than timothy chalamet working with luca guadagnino already in call me by your name i just you know the the name of the second lead in that movie escapes me i can't quite put my tongue on who it was before that last few sentences i would say that (laughs) you've convinced me best picture look the bones and all for best picture uh, eat, eat it up people eat your heart out wait a minute like a peach uh, the eternal daughter mike uh is from a24 and author joanna hogg of the souvenir parts one and two the eternal daughter is a british american mystery drama film starring tilda swinton and it's a film we've been monitoring because shortly after the pandemic we had heard that it was shot in secret in wales during lockdown I just have a feeling, and it's not just the still. This was well before the still came out. Mm-hmm. I had a feeling that this was just going to be Tilda Swinton looking out a window for most of the movie. That's right. Probably going to be Tilda Swinton looking out a window <laughs> for most of the movie. <laughs> They've, you know, Tilda Swinton's watch, worked with Joanna Hogg before, right? So she's had bit parts in the in the Sylvaneer, but she's not. You know, she, she's the mother of the principal character, but Joanna Hogg directing yeah. Tilda Swinton to stare is not something that hasn't happened before, is my point. That's true. Yes, yeah. very true. Yeah. Uh, Michael, we have quite the story behind this next film, No Bears, from Iranian filmmaker Jafar Panahi, who's been in the news re- recently because he's being imprisoned for the second time by the Iranian government for essentially Jesus. criticizing... Uh, he, he criticized the government after his fellow filmmaker, who he was imprisoned with, I believe, uh, years ago got his sentence resumed. So what a mess this is. This is a long story full of bravery and, yes, support from the worldwide film community at large, but not enough and to no avail because despite a decade of house arrest where Jafar Panahi still found ways and loopholes to make films, he continued his filmography and his son just made a great movie, Hit the Road, that I talked about. Mm. Uh, He's got a family full of filmmakers. They are all speaking out against the Iranian government when they can. And this is just a harrowing story of, you know, the, the nightmares where you, when you don't have free speech. And he is now basically his previous sentence of six years for speaking out against the government with one of his films in the past 
is now being you know enacted, and he's and he's Crazy. got a six year prison sentence. Good God, yeah, harrowing story indeed. My Lord, what a terrible tale. And Venice, you know, kudos to Venice for picking up this yeah. film and, and exhibiting it uh, at the festival. No bears. Absolutely. Uh, hopefully, on on lighter terms here, the sun. Another one of Florian Zeller. It's an adaptation of his own play and a follow-up to his former film, The Father. This one stars Anthony Hopkins. Uh, the Father starred Anthony Hopkins. Excuse me. The Son will star Hugh Anthony Jack- Hopkins. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins in- is in The Son. Okay. I, was, I can't <laughs> I don't know how. I don't know how to read copy. Anthony <laughs> Hopkins is in this as well. Hugh Jackman, Laura Dern, and Vanessa Kirby talk about an Oscar Beatty lineup. Uh, part two of Zeller's trilogy of plays. We had The Father already. We will have The Son. And presumably, if this one is as good as The Father is, we will eventually also get The Mother from Sony Pictures Classic. But kudos to the uh, Vanity Fair podcast there, Little Gold Men. They said the Holy Ghost would be the third part of that, which I just watched. Uh, I see. They did. And I, I really appreciate that. Anyway, Tar, we had we play a the first Price is trailer. Right music and we all high five and chest bump. Yeah. <laughs> we had a first trailer for Tar. I don't know if this is pronounced Daughter because I heard somewhere this is pronounced Daughter with a uh, apostrophe above the A. It's not an apostrophe. It's an accent symbol. But all right, tar. Isn't it October seventh. <laughs> Isn't an apostrophe above a, a tilde? I don't know a tilde. Wait, uh, is, or is you, a tilde the? Now I'm getting you, confused. Is a tilde if a squiggly you say line? So. I don't know. This God. let's let's talk about linguistics. <laughs> tilde is a squiggly line. I'm stupid. Go ahead. For the next ten minutes, <laughs> uh, focus features. Uh, we got a trailer that is essentially just billowing smoke yeah. coming out of a slow motion opening mouth of Kate Blanchett. I've seen this image in my nightmares. Yeah. Writer director Todd This is the role of- Tilda Swinton was born to play. <laughs> Never mind Kate Blanchett. Kate <laughs> Blanchett or Tilda Swinton. I forget who it was. No, it, it's, no it's, it, it's this Kate is Tilda Swinton's role, but Kate Blanchett happens to be playing it. Sure. This, answer, this trailer answers the question who would win a staring contest between you and Kate Blanchett who's smoking because it's literally just her for over 90 seconds staring at the, at the camera. Did you cough while watching it? I think I did. Wouldn't it have been cooler if it was in reverse and the smoke was going into her mouth? Yeah, maybe. I, I just really am surprised that we got like a you know, this voiceover on God and the universe and yeah. it was very serious about ruin and everything. And then we get Kate Blanchett just conducting an orchestra and we have Todd Field making his first movie since 2007, Little Children, which was very good, by the way. And in the bedroom with Marissa Tomei mm-hmm. was very good. Todd Wilkinson, I believe, um, et cetera. Yeah, this good is movies. He hasn't made one in a while, though. Basically, the the trailer that's the exact opposite of the Wakanda Forever trailer that we're going to get to at the end of this episode, but just if uh, again, if you say so, how is well, this the exact opposite on the other well, side? Well, because the- Wakanda Forever, you have all emotion, almost no film dialogue, a bunch of quick cuts. This one, you have no emotion. You have a staring contest, all the voiceover dialogue in the world, and you it uses its first ninety seconds to throw cryptic biblical messages at you. Uh, okay, I'll agree with that. That you convinced yeah, me. You see, uh, wow. Is, so is, Tar is gonna win it's an Oscar best play, right? screenplay. It's. I mean, this is. It's all. It's all Kate Blanchett Oscar play, yeah. right? Best screenplay and. Be, all right, so not maybe. Uh, maybe best screenplay and best actress. There you go. Two of them you can mark off your list already. The Whale, we had our first look at as well. Not in the trailer, but at least we had a stills. Darren Aronofsky is behind the camera for this one. Brendan Fraser, Sadie Sink, Samantha Morton, Star, and. Look, 
rare is the day that we get a first look from a film that's not a biopic, right? I don't think this is a biopic. I think this is just a, a stage play, isn't it? It's just a stage play. Uh, Brendan Fraser did not put on all that weight. It's a bodysuit. Uh, he, he's he's a 600-pound man, and he's, you know, suffering uh, after the divorce, and Sadie Sink is playing his daughter, and it's, it's a sad film. But, uh, again, it was a lightning-quick production from Darren Aronofsky, which I don't know if he's known for. Mm. So it seems like this efficiency stage from him – and it's a play that's got a lot of acclaim to it. So if he just shot the play and, and worked his ass off to do it, and we have a great performance from Brendan Fraser, David Long, I don't want to get his hopes up too high because apparently he's already bet his house on this. He's smart. This is, I mean, this is a best actor play. I, I mean, and sometimes that's all it takes is the first look, and then you, you go to My favorite storyline is going to be the chain of events that history will look back on linking the success of Stranger Things season four leading to Brendan Fraser getting his first Oscar win. What? Because Sadie Sink? Because Sadie Sink was such a main player in, in Stranger Things season four. It could bring in a whole new audience who would otherwise miss this obscure niche movie to bring to see this. And they're going to see Brendan Fraser's brilliance in it. Oh, my God. So you think the kids are going to pressure the adults to pick Brendan Fraser? Not the kids, but like the teens and younger 20-somethings. Yeah. That's fascinating. I mean, our, our generation grew up on Brendan Fraser. He was like the it sure. guy. So we're already sold, right? He's got the narratives in his mm-hmm. favor. There's no doubt about it. And he's been doing really great character work in, from the Steven Soderbergh film yep. uh, and a couple other. Refuse uh, to acknowledge that name, but yep. Spot roles. Yeah, now he keeps disappointing <laughs> you in particular. After he said he was going to retire, he makes like 14 more movies. <laughs> Some of them are great. We love them. <laughs> Unsane. And then some of them are Unsane really was so good. Yeah. Ugh. I know. Michael, out of competition, we got a couple notable films. All those previous films were in competition notables. But we have Dead for a Dollar, which is from director Walter Hill. And guess what he's directed? He's directed Alien. 48 Hours. Last Man Standing. He's had a, like a 40-film filmography. I can't believe he's, the man is still directing movies. But he's doing a Western starring Christoph Waltz, Willem Dafoe, and Rachel Brosnahan wow. of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The plot follows bounty hunter Max, Max Borland, Waltz, who is hired to find Rachel Price Brosnahan, the missing wife of a businessman. During his search, Max encounters his sworn enemy, Defoe and is faced with a dilemma after learning the truth of Rachel's disappearance. I'm in. Dead for a dollar. Say no more. You had me at director of Alien, by the way, but never mind Christoph Waltz coming back to a Western and playing a bounty hunter again. Waltz versus Defoe. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in. I'm in as well. Living is also playing here. Mike, you have seen this movie already. You gave it a high B plus 87 from your look at it on Sundance. It's a remake of Kurosawa's Ikiru by Oliver Hermanis is the director. It stars Bill Nighy. This was the one that I was surprised you were so receptive to as if, I mean, if you're never going to touch a director to remake, don't touch Kurosawa, but you said it's done in a great way. I really enjoyed it. It was one of the standouts for me from Sundance and great cinematography that should be uh, applauded in all of his films, by the way. Uh, costumes are excellent, but this is understated, so I doubt Bill Nye will get like Oscars votes at the end of the day, which is unfortunate. It's got to be re- tough. I mean, just on its face to remake Kurosawa yeah. and expect awards has got to be a tall ask. 
a nuanced performance. I believe it's Sony's Pictures Classics. So if anybody can, you know, push something late and push something mm-hmm. hard, maybe they can. We saw it the last two years with The Father and with Parallel Mothers. So you, you never know he is an actor's actor after all, Bill Nye. And I'm hoping that he gets recognition somewhere during this award season, even if this is maybe, you know, a, a stepping stone for what will inevitably be his career achievement Oscar at the end of the day. Cause he needs one. He's mm-hmm. been putting on great work. I mean, the Emma role was hilarious. And obviously I, I have a sweet spot in my heart for him. Just his role as the father, the stepfather in Shaun of the dead, by the way. Yep. What a great, great part call. that was. Yeah. Uh, but we got, don't worry, darling as well. Michael out of competition, director, star, Olivia Wilde, WB. We also got the second trailer for don't worry, darling that we watched before. Nope. TikTok. Literally the whispering of that phrase, ideal domesticated home life, newlyweds. I mean, what a roller coaster this trailer was. But this one spiraled very quickly and looked much more cultier. Uh, yes. Like the Supreme Leader, Captain Kirk stuff. Yes. And then we have a full-blown like prison for Florence Pugh, psychological horror to the nines. What did you think of this trailer? We were next to each other while we watched it. It was freaking me out. It is more freaky. It is more culty. I still don't think it's a great cut. I don't know if that speaks to the movie. I don't. I like. I. It wasn't all that intriguing, and we still end with the shot of Florence Pugh going up to that whatever it is that altar on the top of the hill there. I imagine that's where the film's climax will take place because that's had a prominent place in both trailers thus far. When during the summer or summer does mm-hmm. this film take place? Maybe Do it's just. All, I mean, is this a Truman Show thing? Maybe it's always sunny there. <laughs> they can control the climate. I don't know. It's freaking me the hell out. Again, I just I put stock in the fact that this was such a bidding war over the script. Olivia Wilde. Well, I think WB Clayton still it. has Florence Pugh as one of his final five for best actress from this. I uh, I don't doubt it. And uh, by the way, uh, applause for Clayton Davis putting out all those predictions. Uh, this time of year yep what a flex that was and the, the real flex is the fact that he's got like international feature documentary feature right. <laughs> oh my god i was eating i was eating that up i was i was liking and retweeting as much as i could and yeah no it just it, kudos by the way clayton i uh, i agree with that i also i don't care about don't worry darling at all anymore hmm. because i am just enraptured in the tea that is supposedly going on in the rumor mill behind the scenes <laughs> with this feud that everyone is so sure is happening between Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde. And you have Florence Pugh seemingly going out of her way to market other projects she's been a part of every time something from Don't Worry Darling drops. On each wow. of the Don't Worry Darling trailer days, she has promoted other things on her Instagram. And in response, you have Olivia Wilde on her Instagram or her team controlling her Instagram, seemingly going out of their way to praise working with Florence Pugh and what a great actor she is and how wonderful she was to work with. And the rumors behind the scenes as to does, is Florence Pugh that angry at Olivia Wilde because it was on set where Olivia Wilde and and Harry Styles started their tryst behind Jason Sudeikis' back and that's annoyed Florence Pugh and there's a fight there. I can't wait to see these two on a red carpet. I'm dying for someone just to ask Florence Pugh outright what's going on with your social media. This is not stuff that MMO covers. I know I've literally have begged Swell to do an episode on this on, on all these rumors just because I want to chime in and I have thoughts, but I am so so enraptured in what's going on behind the scenes. I am hearing all this stuff for the first yeah. time. I knew there was a little, obviously from Swell, and we talked about it in our top ten mm-hmm. fear films. 
I knew there was baggage between Wild and the rest of the production, but I didn't realize it was between Wild and Pew. Yeah. And how how does that really work? I mean, it's all over TikTok. People who claim to be PR and, and, and HR reps are all over TikTok saying this is why this has to be happening because I wouldn't allow my client to do this, this, and this. There's a whole... It's like the, the Charlie from It's Always Sunny with Pepe Silvia. There's all kinds of strings attached to pictures in an office somewhere. All right, Michael, I'm with you on Don't Worry Darling mm-hmm. being very worried about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this is my You would say humor. you are worried, darling, if I had to put a... I am worried, there darling. Uh, Love you too. Master Gardener. This is written and directed by Paul Schrader. First Reformed in the Card Counter. Starring Joel Edgerton, Sigourney Weaver, and Quintessa Swindell. Premise reads, Narvel Roth is a... (laughs) Narvel Roth is the meticulous horticulturist of Gracewood Gardens, a beautiful estate owned by wealthy dowager Mrs. Haverhill. This is written by Paul Schrader. (laughs) When she orders Roth to take on her troubled great-niece Maya as his apprentice, his life is thrown into chaos and dark secrets from his past emerge okay that sounds greatly intriguing it's a paul schrader film you know it's going to raise a lot of questions for you it's going to challenge you as a viewer it's got a great cast here's how i know we're getting near the hour mark of recording for you and i after all the prep work (laughs) i'm done because the only thought i had going into this was well if he wasn't a horticulturist and he ran instead a fish and bait tackle shop would this be called master baiters instead <laughs> that's that's elevating our Thank level you. of humor Thank for the for the episode. So I really appreciate that one. That was the good stuff. Um, very good, Michael Pearl, an ex origin story. We knew this was coming from writer director Ty West. Apparently, he shot a lot of. I still haven't footage. seen X. I have to, but yeah. Oh yeah, you should. Watch so does X. this? This that's my lead question. Does does this trailer that we got for Pearl ruin anything from X? Well, you know that the Pearl character is. Yes. Killing people in yes. X. Right. So this is the prequel of X, however, 100 years okay. ago, whatever. So the horror that was released earlier this year with Mia Goth, yeah, it's, you know that the slasher character is involved. And, yeah, we got a trailer from A24, and it looks so horrifying. Very creepy. <laughs> just, yeah. And, it, it, you know, you get this, like, American Psycho vibe, at least I did, but you also get, like, this Joker vibe where she's trying to be this – you know, the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix, she's trying to be this star. And be a she star, gets don't you? Yep. Yeah, she gets sucked into pornography and, and, and being a performer in that regard. And then she starts killing everybody in town. I wonder when A24 greenlit this. Did was the, I, I mean, I would love to know the behind-the-scenes negotiations. Was this a, a contingency deal based on X hitting a certain box office number? <laughs> Did they accept this from Ty West as a package deal? I, I would love to know the story behind this. Because I this thought, had to have been shot right as they were shooting X or right after. I thought he shot a lot of like flashback stuff mm-hmm. for X that he didn't use. And then they kind of just put the finishing touches on that, maybe. Interesting. Uh, with this production, they did like reshoots. I don't know. Maybe I'm very wrong. But it is kind of cool that we're getting the prequel out yeah. on the heels of X, which which did well for the company there, A24. Let's uh, finish up here talking about The Hanging Sun. It's an English-language adaptation of the book by best-selling author Joe Nesbo, who did The Snowman. Plot premise reads, On the run from his former employer, a reluctant hitman seeks refuge in an isolated village where he is faced with events that test the true nature of his conscience, dear Mr. Policeman. 
Yeah, The Hanging Sun stars Charles Dance of Game of Thrones making the crown. Rebecca Brown Finley of Downton Abbey. She, you want me to tell you who she was in Downton Abbey? No, you don't. If you uh, could never speak of that again, I'd really appreciate it. Go ahead. And Peter Mullen of every single BBC slash murder mystery ever set across the pond that I've ever watched, by the way. Uh, all from Italian director Francesco Carazzini. And of That's course, a Polish name? We have, we have, you know, Venice Film Festival having the closing nighter, uh, basically from a, an Italian film festival. So in, in tradition, they they open it up with an American film, they finish with an Italian film, and this is fitting. Francesco Carazzini, what a name, what an Italian name there, my lord. Uh, all cool. right, so as always, when we at least try to talk about these film festivals. We try to put a spotlight and a focus on the equality issue or in, unfortunately, many cases for these major film festivals, the lack thereof. And until yeah. we do have equality, uh, which will, uh, it, it's just not never happening, it seems, unfortunately. We're going to keep trying to do this and keep putting it in a spotlight. So here's the gender filmmaker breakdown brought to you by womaninhollywood.com for the Venice Film Festival of 2022. Five films in competition come from women directors. That's five out of 22 or 23%. Last year was a robust 24%. So that Mm. number is going down by 1% here this year. Two films out of competition are from women directors. That's two of 19 films out of competition. That's only 11% of women-helmed products out of competition at this year's Venice. Four of 18 films are in the Horizons program. Two of nine films in Horizons Extra. That is not good. And it's sad, and, it, and it's especially sad because, like, the new filmmaker program, those sections, like, or the horizon sections, mm-hmm. the, the percentages aren't better. So what the hell, Venice? Yeah. I thought I thought they were getting better. They, they actually had, like, a blip year. The pandemic year was a much better year for yep. them. We praised them for it. And since then, the last two, the man lash, the white lash, it's... I mean, it's still I mean, it's it's a Venice problem, but it's still like we always say, it's also this huge systemic issue. I mean, why aren't women it's a, getting it's these, an industry? Bro. Yeah. Why aren't women getting these opportunities? Where's the money? Where's the funding for the women helm projects? I, it's you know, I mean, we're we're sound like a broken record every time we cover one of these film festivals. And it's just it sucks. And again, I mean, we're just two white schlubs from the Northeast who don't understand a majority of what's going on. and can't relate to a majority of these issues. And yet we find the time to be like, this is outrageous. It is outrageous, it, it, and it shouldn't be. And it, it, I can't believe we have to, you know, be the broken record here mm-hmm. that it keeps happening. So it's just really aggravating. Uh, and I, I hope TIFF does better. We're going to talk about TIFF in our next episode of Oscar Reese Checkpoint. Uh, they announced all their galas and special presentations, but we know there's like hundreds of films that go to TIFF. So we'll wait till we get the full lineup there. Uh, I do want to talk a lot about the Fablemans and Women Talking. Those will be big contenders coming yep. out of TIFF with their debuts there. Uh, otherwise, we'll just mention the list of notables that share both a Venice and TIFF uh, premiere. Uh, we have The Sun, which will be playing at both film festivals. The Banshees of Inishirin from Searchlight. The Sun is from Sony. Banshees of Inishirin from Searchlight is playing both The Eternal Daughter. A24's offering will be playing both festivals. No Bears, the film from Jafar Panahi, will be playing in both festivals as well. Great to see that kind of exposure getting for him. Good. Uh, and A24 will offer The Whale at both festivals, too. All right, so we'll finish up with some San Diego Comic-Con trailers. Uh, we'll touch on some of the uh, lists and announcements as we go here. But the big one, of course, and the big one in terms of the Oscars hemisphere is Black Panther Wakanda Forever from writer-director Ryan Coogler, Michael. I oscillated back and forth between whether I wanted to call this the greatest film trailer from the MCU or the greatest film. I think this is the greatest film trailer ever with no hyperbole. It's incredible. It gives us exactly 
what we needed, especially mourning Chadwick Boseman, and it accomplished it accomplishes that, which is hopefully what the film accomplishes. I because do think a legion of fans that want to more right. Chadwick Boseman. Mark. And it seems like the characters are going to get their chance to do that. It seems like the actors are going to get their I mean, the, the hug at the end of that showing on the Comic-Con panel was very emotional. But like, it seems like everyone's going to get their chance to say their proper goodbye, both on and off screen to both Chadwick Boseman and King T'Challa. I imagine we're going to see King T'Challa's death in some way, shape or form. Um, my God, this trailer gives me goosebumps. I've watched this probably no less than 50 times already. Wow. 22 words of dialogue. I believe you too, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's not uh, like 50 (laughs) times minimum. Uh, 22 (laughs) words of dialogue from the film in this trailer total. Two lines of dialogue from the film in this trailer total. Maybe the greatest song remix this side of anything Michael Abels has ever done for Jordan Peele with that everything's going to be all right, all right by Kendrick Lamar crossover mix, which is unbelievable throughout this. I really wish they would release it as a single on Spotify. So the artist is Thames covering Bob Marley's No Woman, No Cry. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you're right. It's a remix with Kem- Ken- Kendrick Lamar uh, on the outro. Which has even more meaning because Kendrick did the entire one of the entire first soundtracks for the first Black Panther movie, which we know about. Mm-hmm. And look, I don't study trailers unless they're like legacy Mike One properties, like a Scream or a Halloween or something. I don't. I try purposely to like not to keep trailers at an arm's length because I don't want to go in with any heightened expectations more so than I already have heightened expectations for every movie because I always end up disappointed anyway. But this one I have viewed to death and I'm still finding new things and seeing new things on each rewatch. This, uh, this trailer is immaculate. It's incredible. And we got time with each one of the characters, each one Mm -hmm. of the principal principal characters. Lupita Nyong'o's Nakia is out on the beach to start things, looking out at the horizon. Angela Bassett's Ramunda, she's doing the same, but we also get some huge speech from her uh, as the mother of T'Challa. Letitia Wright Shuri, you know, she's both in the funeral garb and seen uh, elsewhere. Denai Guerrero's Okoye, she's in charge of the Queen's Guard, and certainly, you know, we see her holding her ground with the spear uh, on the bridge there in a city environment, and in, in one of the few fight scenes that we get to watch, we see murals, the funeral in white, and then they work in, they work in the antagonism, Namor, uh, the Aquaman, Atlantis riding on the whales, people held at gunpoint. Uh, we see all the these characters essentially fighting with the Atlanteans at one point or another. Okoye, like I said, in the city. Winston Dukes, Mbaku uh, on a beach there. And like, like I said, we have the big speech with Angela Bassett's character before we end with a shot, Michael, of some Black Panther in a suit. Who's yeah. in the suit? Well, that's the question, right? Uh, Richard Noby said, I haven't seen uh, people studying a butt so hard as I have since I forget what trailer he uh, he mentioned there. But, he, you know, there's been all mm-hmm. kinds of speculation of, is it Shuri? Is it going to be Angela Bassett? Is it going to be this person or that person? How about Killmonger? How about it's Michael B. Jordan coming back? How is that possible? Who cares? What do you mean, how is that possible? We all right, every... it's the MCU. I yeah, get it. Yeah, it's right, the fine. MCU. Yeah. Nobody ever dies. Like, mm-hmm. I... I I don't know who it is. I don't know that I even particularly care who it is. I know that's going to be the big reveal, and that's why we got so much, so many shots with every main character in this. I, I, I view this from an odd... I mean, look, if you can transcend the horror genre to be talked about in Oscars terms, you can transcend the MCU genre, even though I hate that phrase. This is going to be an Oscars vehicle. This is an Angela Bassett Oscars vehicle, as far as I'm concerned. This is a yeah. cinematography and editing vehicle, a, a Ryan Coogler vehicle, as far VFX. as I'm concerned. VFX. I mean, this is going to be... 
I think, a huge player. Never mind the giant box office, I'm sure, that is in store for it. It might be the Disney golden uh, jewel in the Oscars uh, slate this year. Mm. Uh, if uh, if things are to be believed about Amsterdam, maybe not yeah. living up to expectations uh, that Eric Weber was talking about in the last episode. So so look at I, this could be this could be the crown jewel uh, for Disney and all of their companies, especially after the strange year they've been having, Michael. But they did make a lot of announcements about the ending of Phase Four here with Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. So well, that's they, do, you, do you like do you like the Aquaman and the Navi shots that that's taken clearly in this trailer as well? It's all the same company, so they can reuse some <laughs> of the same shots. They spent enough money on both, haven't they? From Avatar: The Way of Water, it's the same company. Ryan no? Coogler thumbing his nose at James Cameron. You don't think is the thing there? No. All right. No, November 11th, uh, and then December 18th or whatever, we'll have people riding whales. You're right. Uh, <laughs> but we've officially been given the term the multiverse saga for what's about to come and for what started to happen uh, because we got phase five films that have been announced and they were, they were addressed at Comic-Con. They've been announced previously in many a case, but Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, that'll be February 17th of 2023 with Peyton Reed directing. Yeah, we had a trailer which was exclusive to San Diego Comic-Con for this as well. I've seen pieces of it. I don't think the full thing's on YouTube, but it might be by now, but uh, we do get Jonathan Majors Kang playing a major role within Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. That's confirmed. He's going to kick some tiny ass mm-hmm. in that movie, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I don't see 3. why you have to talk about Paul Rudd like that. He's a fine, upstanding gentleman just because he's a little <laughs> short, but fine. Tiny, tiny. <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, 5523 from James Gunn. This was another San Diego Comic-Con exclusive trailer that was said to be very... I have not seen any pieces of this, so if you have them, send them my way. But uh, it's said to be an emotional trailer, said to be emotional for the entire gang because it's their last ride together, the Guardians. Oh, is it? It's their last one? Come on. That's what that's. I mean, at least it's the last one James Gunn is going to be at the head of. Uh, he right. seems to have made that clear. So I will believe it when I see it. But look, we got the Marvels coming out July of 2023 near Casca, And I love Miss Marvel right now. Uh, but I'm four out of the six. I got to finish the last two episodes. Uh, you, you'd enjoy that, Michael. We have Blade uh, from Ta- uh, Bassam Tariq. That'll come out November of next year. And then we have Captain America New World Order. We got the director of that a couple months ago, Julius Ona, of what the, what was the movie he did that was so good that we loved? Loose. Kelvin Harris. Loose. L-U-C-E. Julius Ona. Kelvin Harrison Jr. there. Uh, that is May 2nd. And we have Thunderbolts that I believe will end phase Five, which is going to be similar to the Suicide Squad, including everybody's wondering who's going to be in it. Yelena Belova, Florence Pugh, U.S. Agent Wyatt Russell, Baron Zemo, Daniel Bruhl, Taskmaster, Olga Kirilenko, Ghost, Hannah John Heyman. I don't remember who Ghost is, but Abomination, Tim Roth, and the Winter Soldier, Sebastian Stan, all working for potentially Val, Julia, Louis, Dreyfus, and maybe Deadpool. Everybody keeps throwing Deadpool into everything. Uh, the Deadpool and uh, Deadpool and Logan are going to be released on Disney+. Plus. Those are going to be the first R-rated films on Disney+. Plus. That was a big deal as well. Uh, the Fantastic Four was also mentioned. That's going to come out in November of 2024 right now. This is all part of Phase 6. The Avengers had two films announced for 2025. Avengers The Kang Dynasty for uh, May 2nd and Avengers Secret Wars for November 7th. Destin Daniel Cretton uh, picked two directly Kang Dynasty One Secret Wars is supposedly going to feature Olivia Coleman playing a major role if rumors are to be believed. No X-Men mentioned, Michael, and there's a reason for that. 
I guess D23 is going to be the X-Men uh, release, which happens when? Now, okay, so you're, you're hearing that because there was a, a rumor and a couple articles written that I read that said okay. contractually they can't announce any new X-Men. I mean, they may be able to announce them, but they can't put any new X-Men on film because all of the old X-Men contracts run until about 2024. So if ever there's going to be a X-Men in those roles put on film, they would have to be filled by the actors attached to those roles. Now, I mean, it's Disney and it's A-list actors all over the place, so I'm sure if Disney wanted to buy them out of those contracts, that would not be that big of a hurdle to pass. But huh. nonetheless, uh, the, the, I saw this from a couple websites. Apparently, the uh, the X-Men contracts for Jennifer Lawrence, Sophie Turner, the like, etc., uh, Hugh Jackman amongst them, are not up until around 2025. Wow. I did not know this. I did not re- research to, to that degree. Uh, they did mention all their TV shows. We won't do that. We're an Oscars podcast at the moment, even though I will say that I am watching them all on Disney Plus for certain. Uh, but we, we got to get going here because we've got to move on to DC. We have Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Uh-oh. I despise this trailer, Michael. Yeah, I was not a fan either. Paint by numbers. Like, I hope this movie's better than the big, fat, cheesy cartoons that I watched, you know, with this Eminem music. Maybe that's the reason I despised Horrible. it. I never, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't like Eminem selling out all of his songs at this moment. I mean, that, I don't know. I don't but even want to But there's a way to do it. Anymore. I mean, I mean, Kendrick was done and remixed so cool in that Wakanda <laughs> Forever trailer. And this Eminem remix, you can make Eminem very cool. This is not a way to do it. This is not a way to do that. We just had a whole movie of them kind of reckoning with the fact that they were kids turned into heroes. And what is this whole trailer doing? It's them reckoning with the fact that they're kids and they turned into heroes and they're fighting cartoon dragons. Great. Imposter syndrome, the movie. Yeah. I, I mean, there's there's some highlights. I like the the meta commentary of, of Shazam explaining to Helen Mirren's character what the Fast and Furious is all about. Yeah. And that's kind of cute. I like Lucy okay. Liu being a bad guy. But yeah, I was not crazy about this trailer. I hope she comes back at him with some Jason Statham right. mother joke or whatever, right. but I'm in. Uh, Black Adam, kind of the same trailer, reduxed a little bit by DC to me. Uh, but hey, I'm you know, it, I think it's cool still. And the the fact that The Rock got the big, you know, with the thunder in the background and the whole, you know, kind of uh, arena treatment. Yeah. On the stage there, that's cool. I like that again. You know, Black Adam. Um, I'm hyped for it, but I wonder if they're making him a bit too unstoppable. Is there a Superman problem here? Well, I think he's being made for Superman, and somebody asked him about that on the WB panel, and there was a lot of people upset that WB didn't introduce a Superman or explain that Henry Cavill's coming back or have any hint as to what lies ahead for their Superman property. And when uh, someone asked, or I think it was a child, asked The Rock. Uh, if Black Adam could fight Superman or could face Superman, what would happen? He would say it would totally depend on who's playing Superman was kind of his tongue-in-cheek answer. So, Hmm. yeah, I think you're heading on something that's in the future of WB's plans, whether or not they know exactly what they're doing with that yet. I always thought Black Adam was going to be the Shazam answer. Um, But, uh, you know, you have a guy, the the name recognition of The Rock right now, is Zachary Levi the type of actor you want to have against him? Well, if it's The Rock, he's probably going to want an A-lister to go against knowing him because he's a very, again, probably the most protected entity in all of Hollywood right now. Um, yeah, but they're covering the ground of The Rock as Black Adam 
wrestling with the fact that is he a good guy or a bad guy in this trailer? Yes. Are they really going to do that for however many more movies? Is that what we're going to get every single movie of The Rock pretending to be a bad guy and then being the good guy? Teaming up with Superman or whomever, maybe or, it's, maybe it's a post credit thing. Maybe he does something that that is seen as harmful to the citizens and uh, lands at Clark Kent's feet, and that's when we get our look at the first new Superman. Look, I I think they have an obvious win here. Turn Superman into a villain. Turn Superman into Bizarro. Turn Superman into Homelander. Turn Superman into. Would a bad you introduce guy. a new Superman? I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, why not? If Henry Cavill doesn't want to play him anymore, just turn Superman into a bad guy and have a great villain that you can have, you know, you have a battle of the gods, I guess, but at least now you have a formidable foe for your god battle. So keep Black Adam a good guy? Or team yeah, up have him Dark be this, Superman? Yeah, whatever. Ambiguous bad guy. He get a, gets a couple scenes where he has to decide if he's a good guy or bad guy in every movie because that's going to be the formula, apparently, <laughs> for this character. Fine. But The Rock versus... Bad Superman. Let's go. No, I, I listen. I'm all for it. That's that's fine with me. I just think it's it'd be certainly unique in the comic book world to introduce a new Superman, a, a character playing Superman, and have that guy start as a bad guy. That'd be something. Look, I, I know the Flashpoint paradox has something like that. I can't remember. I've seen so many of these DC things. Superman's a bad guy in a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I think it's that's going to happen. Anyway. Last Comic-Con trailer here is John Wick Chapter 4, which comes out in March of 2023. This is from the director of all four films, Chad Stahelski. No one can kill everyone, not even you. (laughs) Now, here's your Superman problem. (laughs) I love this ridiculous series. I love that he can't kill everyone, but he's going to kill Donnie Yen and Bill Skarsgård in this one, isn't he? (laughs) Just give us what we all want and have Skarsgård slowly morph into Pennywise. And give us... Give us uh, John Wick against Pennywise. I want no roles anymore, <laughs> actors. I just want yeah. it all. I right. want these. I want every character. I in want every movie. movies to be one giant crossover event. That's all I want. <laughs> I want Ready Player One, the life, <laughs> and then it can all take place in Meta, and I don't have to leave my house, and then we all die eventually. That's all. That's it. And every podcast is a summer Oscar series, <laughs> no matter when it comes out. Are you a big John Wick guy? I can't remember. Well, I tell you what, the gun foo is a little ridiculous, but yeah, I like John Wick. I like the John Wick movies. I gave Parabellum a, a good review. I, I think John Wick Two, I gave a, a very good review. You haven't watched them, haven't you? Bought them and you haven't watched them? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen the first one. Wait, you watched the first one and you never watched another one? But, yeah. Oh, okay. There's a doggy issue there. I watched that, the first two Lord of the Rings. I haven't watched the third one. What do you, I mean, you know, I'm that guy. I, I, I What? <laughs> you have not seen the third Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's right. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> You're it. Seriously. Seriously. F off and go watch the third Lord of the Rings. What is your problem? What is your problem? You just talked about being a completionist. For TV and you shows. haven't watched the third Lord of the For Rings, TV the one that shows. won 10 yeah. Oscars? Yeah, that's right. 10 out of 12 Oscars? You know why I do? You have an Oscars podcast. You know why I'm not? Exactly. You know, you're, you're explaining all the reasons why I purposely haven't at this point. And, and the second one was the best movie. It was the best one of the three, in my opinion. So you watch the second one and you don't go back in for the third? Yeah, that's right. To watch the conclusion? You know what? Conclusion? I can't even speak right now. You know what? I'm just <laughs> it I'm angers, flabbergasted. It angers people like you. 
I did the audacity of this man. <laughs> Everybody come for him on t- wait, we share a Twitter account. Don't come for him on Twitter. Yeah, go to send him Gmail. So by the way, thank you to uh friends of the pod, you know, listening to the podcast for the first time, uh sending us emails about nope, yeah. that's very cool. You know, yeah. I don't know if we'll do a follow up on that yet. Uh but if I am never gonna get Mike to rewatch Nope if I can't get him to watch a freaking movie that won ten Oscars. I sent a resp- I sent a response email to the Nope email. It was very nice. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Again, you're running the Gmail. Thank you. I read that full. Uh, yeah, I, I, a lot of great points. Yeah, it was good. He made. I That's appreciate good. that. Not enough to make me watch the third Lord of the Rings movie, but it was good. <laughs> it was enough to get me to rewatch Nope, though. I went back and I, I rewatched Nope. It was it was awesome. Rewatch, Which, without the, the pressure of expectations, you said it was a better watch. It was a much better watch. Yeah. I had a blast rewatching it. I was in an IMAX uh, just like just take taking it all in it was oh my god i was i sat front and center imax danbury connecticut it was a limax but it's still awesome i mean the sound alone was worth the watch awesome i i can't believe it i mean i still get aggravated by the by the movie a little bit and you know i have a, I have similar issues i stand by my review i think we were on our review mm. uh, i still don't know what the hell it means i'm far too caucasian for that mm-hmm. I, I don't get it and that's that's a me problem for certain but I, I do say that, I, you know, my eyes were open listening to the Minorities Report film podcast. They, they followed a lot of threads. Uh, and I really appreciate that because that was eye-opening stuff. And then, um, you know, Richard Newby put a post on The Hollywood Reporter. Great article there about Nope. Uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm not understanding at all how it connects. And that's the problem. Like, there's, there's vastly different interpretations of this movie. Yeah. And maybe that's what Jordan Peele wanted, but... None of it forgives you for not watching The Return of the King. None of this. None of this rambling can sidetrack me enough for you not having seen The Return of the King. I'm banging the desk right now. This is that's so screwed up. That's that's seriously. That's like that's like if you haven't seen The Godfather Part Two. I have seen The Godfather Part Two. I've not seen Part Three, but I've seen Part Two. I understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. That's forgivable. Uh, maybe Not seeing if the I ever get my, If I ever get my butt in uh, gear, I'll do a watch along on Twitch for my first Lord of the Ring Part 3. Oh, you got. You have to have fanfare? This is making me even oh, more... Oh, no, angry. I could have you people come fan- in and make... I mean, I'm have Twitch. I'm, we could mm-hmm. have people come in and make fun of me for having never seen it. It'd be fun. It's fun for you, but you, you're also going to like criticize it mid-movie. Which you're not allowed to now. You're not allowed to have an opinion. Maybe on those will be. Things. Maybe those will be the uh, the stakes. If we do that, <laughs> if we set up Twitch and I get enough people in the room, I'll, I'll only be able to say nice things about the movie, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll die like Roger from American Dad when he can't be negative. <laughs> <laughs> As always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts about what was a loaded Oscar race checkpoint for us. Do you have any thoughts about what went down on the Comic-Con stage? Any thoughts about what will be going down in Venice with these trailers, with the HFPA, with Will Smith's apology, or anything else we covered here in this episode or in the MMO Empire? As always, you can leave us your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at Gmail. 
com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify feeds, if you would be so kind, if you appreciate what we do to leave us a five-star review, those help us out immensely. Thank you to those of you who have done so thus far. Michael, aside from chastising me for my lack of watching Lord of the Rings concluding chapters, what do we have next on the horizon for MMO, and what are some words of wisdom to end on? Oh, if you think I'm dropping this just because you had a nice little transition there, think again, because it is wise uh-huh. to watch The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. And if you have not, uh-huh. for some asinine right. reason, you know, if you've skipped that film, don't admit to your loved ones that you have not watched the film. And I get that it took 700 episodes or whatever we're up yep. to now. To, for you to admit this mm-hmm. fact. I mean, we did a Lord of the Rings episode yeah, we early did. on. We did. Really early yeah. on. About but I watched the that Fellowship one. I've seen that one. <laughs> I gotta attack something. Where's the stuffed animal? I have to bite it. Harlan, I'm like, it's my dog. Harlan Williams' cop character in uh, Dumb and Dumber when he pulls them over and drinks the... <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> That's what I feel like. It's good. That's a good reference. That's exactly what I feel like. I guess we are still friends somehow. Uh, what's coming next? We have this part two of this Oscar race checkpoint. Maybe we'll record it like Monday-ish where we'll uh, talk about the Toronto International Film Festival lineup. I don't know if Telluride will come out by then, uh, but we got a lot of side stories. we got the Oscars calendar coming together. we got BAFTA awards news. we mm. got... Uh, we got a movie that I watched, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, which everybody should go see this weekend. Uh, if, you're, if you're worried about good movies not being in cinemas, that is a good movie. Go watch it. Very cute, very adorable, very profound uh, on many levels. Again, from A24, Vengeance is out this weekend. Resurrection is effed up, but it's it's very good as well, in my opinion. Uh, three good movies out. So you don't have to see the Super Pets if you don't want to. But we will have some cool-ass movies still, come, still to come in August. Bodies, 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 Bullet Train. I think in reverse order in terms of when we'll cover them, but uh, we got some some more film studies to come as well. My God, I can't believe you haven't seen that movie. More reasons to get out to the theater and not stay at home and watch the third episode of uh, Lord of the Rings. I agree. It's more than an episode, <laughs> sir. It's the final episode. It's the it's the final one. Oh my God! I don't care about magic and elves and. <laughs> <laughs> you at least watch the end of Game of Thrones without having seen all the better stuff, yeah. which is also infuriating on both so many fronts. My God, you suck! You suck as a, a consumer of. And of, I was rooting of, for David Bowie all throughout Labyrinth too when I watched it. Uh, <laughs> fantasy and oh my God! When reality sucks, or you hate your coworker, you can come. Dodge bullets with us. We are Mike Mike Oscar trying to make award season year round. Without the stuffiness, we will see you all very soon. Uh, see ya. (laughs)